MSW Media. Donald Trump won't be president for much longer. Will the Biden administration indict him after he leaves office? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. But before I bring in Patty, I'd like to thank our patrons who brought us this episode. With special thanks, Andrew Donnelly, James Frohmeyer, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie and Izzy Gordon, Patrick, Steve Hungsberg, Ari Lamstein, Shana Wachinski, and an anonymous patron. You too can become a patron on our website, ontopicpodcast.com, all one word. Just click the support link at the top of the page. Well, Patty, it is good to be back here with you. It's been a, it's been a little while. Uh, it is really hard to tell time anymore. So when you schedule these, I'm like, oh, good. I have something to put on my calendar, somewhere to be in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, it is. This has been a difficult time for everybody. I know. Uh, I definitely have gotten stir crazy at times being at home. But I really do feel a sense of hope now that we have the uh, vaccine uh, on the way. I'm hoping that we're going to see an end to this pandemic sometime in the future. We have the beginning of the end here. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, but there's so much that's unknown and we're, you know, opening up schools again in Chicago, just as we're still seeing so many ICU beds filled. And, you know, daily death toll is is still, um, you know, really hard to imagine putting teachers and kids and support workers in that situation. So uh, it, it's hard to imagine the end of this, even though we have the vaccination out there. It's, it's hard to relax really. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think relaxed is the, uh, is the, uh, <laughs> the descriptor for how any of us are feeling right now. Yeah. It's a crazy time. There's still a lot, a lot uh, to be concerned about, to be worried about. And I'll tell you, first of all, I want to thank our listeners for their indulgence with our time off for the holidays. Uh, certainly, we've had a lot going on. And during that time, I was... Re- can I say something? Yes, yeah. I, I want to say it first. I want to say congratulations and tell everybody why we're congratulating you, by the way. Oh, well, I got engaged over the... Yeah. Uh, over the, There's one of the multiple things that was been, has been going on during this time. So I've been... I've been busy. Uh, we've all been, we've all, but we've taken some, a little bit of time off, but we're back. And during that time, we have been uh, trying to figure out what the right topic would be. And this is really, I think, uh, born out of a discussion that Asha Rangapa and I had on Twitter. We had back and forth about whether or not the Justice Department should be considering certain factors when deciding whether to indict Donald Trump. And I think for some people, that's the light at the tunnel. That's like uh, the uh, vaccine is for me, uh, you know, as to this pandemic. I think there's a lot of people who are feeling that this is a sense of justice. 
I think that people also want, as we've said time and time again, for the the entire administration, we just want to know that the, the law matters, that the Constitution matters, that you know that we have standards for how a president should conduct themselves and everyone that works for him, his family, uh, their family. It's it's just uh, really incomprehensible that there won't be any accountability. And that's the way it's felt for the last four years, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think that th- that Trump has figured out that he doesn't have any real consequences for certain things that he does. And so he has proceeded along those lines. I think he's figured out that he's not going to get impeached uh, or removed from office. Right. He got impeached, but he's not going to be removed from office, that the Republicans aren't going to push back against him no matter what he does. And then he can say or do most most things that he wants. I mean, there's occasionally some price to pay, maybe if you fire the wrong person. But he's he's gotten away with doing almost everything he's wanted to do uh, during this time. And I think a lot of people are understandably frustrated and want there to we you know want there to be some meat to the bones here and some uh, some meat to the bones behind the principle that no one's above the law. You know, it's something we say. But for it to have meaning, uh, you have to have people you know, take into account. So I understand the inclination. Of course, I will say, and I know people probably don't want to hear this, it's always a dangerous thing uh, the, when you have the incoming president and his administration considering criminal investigations and indictments of the last person who was in office. And I think we, it's, of course, due to this unprecedented situation that we're dealing with this. I mean, we've never had a president uh, kind of flagrantly, you know, violate the law and commit crimes that are readily provable. And then, you know, essentially thumb his nose and maybe even try to pardon himself on the way out. He has spent almost his entire time in office trying to figure out what he can do. And and he's come to the conclusion that it's pretty much everything, including inciting violence. I mean, I don't know if you're following. I'm sure you are. Uh, and I know the FBI has to be, whether it's on Parler or now even on Twitter. You know, the, the these folks who are saying that blood must be shed. And, you know, how I, the fact that he's not being held accountable for that is still just, it, it's staggering. Well, you know, it's, it is... You know, one thing that I think people are learning is for certain things that, you know, the how broad the freedom of speech is. You know, I was talking to a First Amendment lawyer this past week about how our First Amendment law has changed because of Trump, how it's it's actually uh, courts are giving broader latitude uh, to first to people's speech because Trump has said so many crazy things. Courts are expanding the diversion of opinion. We've seen, of course, we've also seen. Uh, our government at times come to a standstill because of Trump. I and mean, we recently had a, essentially a tantrum by Trump trying to get attention, uh, almost to end unemployment benefits and, and potentially prevent any uh, aid going to people who have been hurt uh, during this pandemic. So I, I think, you know, we are really at a point now where our government's a dysfunction, where we have a president who's on the golf course and all sorts of problems are happening. The vaccine's not getting distributed. The government is dysfunctional. We have uh, various people who refuse to recognize the results of the election or trying to overturn it. And 
you know, we we desperately need uh, this incoming president to come in and hit the ground running. And of course, the current administration isn't even fully cooperating with the transition. It's it's just it's uh, unconscionable. And I don't think that that's even a strong enough word for what has happened and what he continues to do to hurt the American people and democracy. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, you know, it is it, it's really something I, I, I one thing that I've been thinking about lately, Patty, is will we get used to a normal news cycle again? Won't, won't, won't it be something in when let's say when Joe Biden is president and is not doing crazy tweets or you know, trying to overturn uh, our system of government and maybe the pandemic is over at a certain point and we can just uh, live our lives and not be thinking about politics or the president and crazy stuff like that all the time. It will be. I also hope that the same energy we have with being frustrated with this presidency and with this, with the folks that uh, really want to harm the, you know, the lives of so many Americans, those who come from other countries, uh, seeking shelter, seeking refuge, uh, you know, people who live here who have been under the oppression of, you know, a, a patriarchy and a structure that is harmful. I, I hope that we hold on to some of that energy, that outrage, because they're, you know, going back to normal is now unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think what I'm actually hopeful for, Patty, is that when we're no longer have to deal with these brush fires and self-inflicted wounds that, that our country's had due to Trump and his administration, that we can focus on some of these systemic problems that existed. I mean, one thing that was remarkable that we had during this pandemic was a nationwide movement about systematic racism at the same time that we're dealing with the pandemic and a variety of other things. You know, that's a sort of issue that doesn't go away. Uh, at least, you know, n not anytime soon. And there's a lot there's a lot there to dig in and deal with a lot of reform left to be done. And we could devote some of this energy to a topic like that, for example. Right. Exactly. Fighting the good fight. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And well, you know, look, regard, you know, I, I will tell you, uh, Patty, uh, this topic is one that's going to be uh, fraught with. I think a lot of there's going to be a lot of intense emotions and a lot of difficult issues. And so I'm excited that Asha Rangap is joining us, not only because we had um, our very polite academic version of a Twitter debate, uh, unlike how Twitter debates usually are, but because Asha is such an interesting and engaging person all the time whenever we have her on the podcast. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you already know Asha because she's been on before multiple times. She's a regular. Uh, she's also a professor at Yale University. She is a uh, former FBI counterintelligence agent. She's a CNN legal and national security analyst. And she's also a former law school classmate and friend of mine. So let's bring in Asha Ringapa. Welcome back to the podcast, Asha. Thanks, Bernardo. Glad to be back. This whole discussion got started on Twitter, and you know I think both of us are are convinced that Trump's going to try to do some sort of pardon for himself. I, I think if he was savvier and less prideful, he would resign a day early and get Pence to pardon him. But uh, are, do you think he's going to pardon himself? Well, I have been holding out that he may resign and have Pence pardon him. I mean, as you noted, Renato, and for, for your listeners, 
that would be the legally airtight way to go. Correct. Because a pardon by by him resigning and Pence becoming president and assuming all of the powers of the presidency, including pardon power, and then pardoning Trump, um, it it would basically mirror what. I mean, it would depend on how it's worded, but effectively be similar to what Ford did for Nixon. Um, and I think that would be I, I'm not even sure how you would challenge that, what you would challenge it on, unless it was completely vague and, and lacked any specificity whatsoever or something like that. But the self-pardon um, becomes is, is legally problematic. I, I think most legal scholars agree that it's it's really not a thing. And so it's a risky proposition for Trump to try to do a self-pardon. And I have always thought that for as narcissistic as he is, when it comes to self-preservation, he is pretty savvy and I think is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that he gets off the hook for anything that he's done. So I have held out that he may do an 11th hour resignation but i don't know i mean that was really you know that conviction has waned as the lawsuits have increased as he's gotten more and more unhinged on twitter and you know seems to be promoting uh you know seditious (laughs) seditious actions so i i'm really not sure do you think it's likely or do you think he would resign resigning would allow him to just quit and be like well screw it I didn't want this job anyway. And that's that's very on brand for him in some ways. Yeah. You know, I have to say um, it's really hard. to It's really hard for me to predict what Trump is going to do. Let's face it. The guy is a total wild card. And right now he seems more interested in just playing golf and trying to, you know, say la 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 and, and uh, ignore what's going on around him. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I guess my gut is that he's going to end up not resigning because the thought of him doing that is almost a concession that he's not all powerful. And so I think he likes the idea of being, you know, from all the reporting that I've read, he seems to relish this idea of having his pardon list. And I think just throwing himself and every family member on the list uh, is going to appeal to him. He's already appeal. He's already pardoned Kushner's dad, so he'll probably just pardon his his kids and family and throw himself on there and give it a try. And and it'll be interesting because, as you point out, there's a lot of scholars who have uh, questions about it. I will note our last guest, who's a pardon professor, thought it would it would hold up. I mean, he you know he'll probably have some legal advisor around him who says that it'll be fine. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to tell what he's going to do. I think it's going to either way, it's going to present a challenge. And if, as you point out, Asha, if Pence pardons him, it, it really looks a lot like what Gerald Ford did for Nixon. And then all the attention is going to turn to the Manhattan DA, which appears very serious about bringing a case. They just uh, hired some expensive, very expensive. And in my experience, I've hired that same consulting firm uh, in some of my cases. Uh, they've already hired a forensic accounting firm. And so, uh, you know, it looks like uh, one way or the other, he's going to face a prosecution, but, uh, you know, a federal one would be out of the question. Mm -hmm. So one thing, by the way, uh, Patty, I know we had a question from the reader or from the listeners about this. 
Oh, so many questions, but it is definitely in this vein. Uh, Asha, you mentioned that if he do- if Trump tr- attempts a self-pardon, it would be problematic. But listeners want to know if there's any language he could use in the self-pardon that would make it impossible to prosecute him. And what loopholes could a prosecutor find in a pardon that would allow them to work around a self-pardon, assuming he attempts one? Yeah. So I don't know that the validity of a self-pardon would depend on the language. I think I think it's either something the president can do or cannot do. Um, I think the compelling arguments that I have heard um, and read about why a self-pardon isn't a thing um, is partly textual, that it doesn't square with uh, the structure of the Constitution or the text of the Constitution. The uh, president... It has to take care that the laws be faithfully executed and um, that there is an inherent conflict between one pardoning oneself and and also uh, having that duty. And then in general, just structurally, you know, it effectively places the president outside of the realm of any kind of judicial accountability at all. Um, a self-pardon would effectively allow a president to, A, commit crimes that enable him to get into office. Um, you know, doesn't take much to imagine how that could play out. And then once in office to, uh, you know, let's just take something very basic to, for example, um, accept bribes uh, in in deciding how and when to use his powers. Um, and, you know, essentially abusing his power and enriching himself. Uh, he could obstruct justice. He could uh, destroy evidence of it. He could tamper with witnesses um, and do all of that and then simply pardon himself on the way out the door, allowing himself to get a get out of jail free card. I, I don't see how this would make any sense um, in our system of government. So I think the question is, you know, and it sounds like, Renato, you had a guest on who said that it, it would be valid. So I think it's a legal question of you know, is it is it valid or is it not? I think it's com- there are compelling arguments that it's not. But the only way to test it is that if Trump were to pardon himself, then you would need th- then basically the Justice Department would um, have to attempt to bring charges against him. Once they did that, presumably Trump would say, "No, you can't charge me. I am immune. I have pardoned myself for all of these." for any crimes um, that I may have committed while in office or before. And so that would become a legal question that a court would have to decide. Um, you can't, It's even when there is a valid legal question, um, a court won't decide something in the abstract. They need what's called an active case or controversy. So you, So there would have to be an affirmative action taken by the Justice Department um, to try to charge him. Uh, in order for that question to be resolved. And I think, and this gets to kind of what our Twitter debate was, is I think that if the Justice Department did not do that, what you essentially have is um, a precedent, not, not not a judicial precedent, not a legally binding precedent, but basically a precedent in terms of something that the executive has done, right? Just like the Ford pardon is now a precedent. I mean, in in the sense that we kind of think that, yes, you can give unconditional pardons because Ford did it. Um, And it will become something that because it's so rare and only one person can do it, we kind of think, okay, it was never challenged. And therefore, 
um, it must be okay. And that's a, a really dangerous signal to send for future occupants of the Oval Office. Um, and so that's why I say that it would be something that would need to be resolved sooner rather than later. Yeah. So just, in, and I will just say, I think you did a nice job, Asha, of explaining why there would need to, in that circumstance, be a court. Uh, you would actually have to have a prosecution of Trump for this to come before the courts. Is you know, our courts, is you, you know, the, the the words you use, case or controversy, those come from the Constitution. Are and, and our courts don't issue what's called advisory opinions. In other words, they don't just give you their thoughts on legal issues because you ask them about your, you know, will you let us know what the what the law is? There actually has to be somebody who's been harmed by something and there has to be something at stake in which this particular issue matters. And so for in the case of a self-pardon, it would only matter if the federal government, if the Justice Department, the Biden administration went forward and tried to indict Trump. And I think where there was a, a debate between you and I was on regarding the factors that would be used for that prosecution. So, first of all, I do uh, I agree with you that a self-pardon is not a good precedent to have. And I think it is fair that you're right, that if there is a self-pardon and nothing happens, that there is going to be some sense that maybe you can get away with it. I mean, I'm sure... The Biden administration, there's probably going to be some there might even be a OLC opinion that comes out saying a self-pardon, you know, president can't pardon themselves. Who knows? You know, maybe there'll Mm -hmm. be some political statements that say we don't believe the self-pardon is valid. But if you say, look, Trump's pardon is not valid, but we're not going to prosecute him anyways. It does kind of leave this hanging out there in a way that if you had court precedent, you could definitively resolve the issue one way or the other. It may come out. Uh, the way you were, or I would expect it would, because I agree with you, by the way, although my reasoning is slightly different. And my reasoning is that the for a pardon, the pardon uh, clause, it presumes that there's a grantor and a grantee. Uh, Correct. And so I just think there has to be two people there. The president's mm-hmm. granting pardons. If you, you're not granting it, if you're just pardoning yourself, you're not granting it to it's presumably another person. But in any event, uh, my I guess my overriding concern I think the way I look at this issue in terms of deciding to prosecute Trump, I think this is going to be a pickle regardless of whether the guy tries to pardon himself. Okay, and here's why we can I think there's going to be some disagreement about what particular crimes Trump's committed or what evidence there is out there. But I think we can I think there, there really can't to me be much of a disagreement that there are red, there are at least some readily provable crimes that Trump could be charged for because we all we've read the Mueller report or at least you've read a summary of it or something and you know that that there's some pretty good evidence that he obstructed justice uh, compelling evidence that that has already been investigated has already been kind of put down and there's reports and there's witnesses and so forth and so i think the the question is for a new administration coming in how do you handle that tricky issue? Because I think, you know, no matter what, that's going to be an extraordinarily divisive case. It's going to be criticized as political. And, you know, essentially the solution I had come up with, and I've written a column about it in Politico a month or so ago, was let's have a special counsel who's an apolitical, no, nobody no one's ever heard of, a career prosecutor who 
makes the determination based on, you know, the factors the DOJ usually does and then, you know, try to say, look, this is as apolitical as we can get it. I think it'll still be criticized. But my I guess my overall concern is if we don't make this as divorced from kind of unique circumstances with Trump that we're that we are going to potentially undermine faith in the apolitical nature of the Justice Department. Yeah. And and I, I think that that is um, that is entirely right. And in an ideal world, that is how we would approach it. But I might I might say I, I might differ on, on one or two things. So the first is I think that. When it comes to the president of the United States, I think realistically there are certain considerations that come into play um, that actually benefit the president, to be quite honest. Um, Because of his position, um, there is a symbolic and psychological, like, you know, in terms of the national psyche, a a psychological aspect of choosing to prosecute the former head of state. I mean, it's it's a incredibly major step for a country to take, um, you know, to do that. And it it as you noted, it can be incredibly dis- divisive. Um, and I think that it was for all of th- there were some of these considerations that came into play when Ford pardoned Nixon um, that it would spare the country a certain amount of upheaval and, you know, that th- there would be sort of almost a political crisis to, to have the country undergo that. And I think that especially in terms of what's happened in the last four years, um, those are salient considerations. And then, as you noted, there, there's also the consideration um, about whether that divisiveness will erode people's faith Um in the administration of justice. So I think the Justice Department has two overarching concerns. One, how do you vindicate the interests of justice on behalf of the American people? And number two, how do you uh, ensure, and in this case, repair the erosion um, in the faith in the justice system that has been wrought upon the DOJ in the last four years? And so I think there is an argument to be made if you're the AG. Let's let's pretend that t- Trump doesn't self-pardon. He leaves without any kind of pardon at all. Let's just say in a, in a world where he is open to prosecution. Um, I think there is an argument for an AG, and we can play AG and de- deputy AG if you want and have this debate. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> I'll be the deputy. That, that's fine. No, you can be <laughs> you can be AG. I'll be the deputy. But that you know, there. Let's let's let the Manhattan DA's office and maybe the New York AG go ahead and take the lead. Yes, we have evidence of prosecutable crimes, but so do they. And they can move forward. Uh, We can always assist them with any evidence that we have that could be relevant to their prosecutions. And in doing so, we can achieve both of these goals. We can vindicate the interests of justice um, in terms of allowing a prosecution for crimes that have been committed to take place and we can remove department, the Department of Justice from the political crosshairs by allowing the state to take the lead in this case. So I, I think that would be a valid consideration, um, given all of the things that are involved, um, and especially the, the position and stature of the president. 
And what I was saying is, but I think if Trump self-pardons, those considerations go out the window. All, in other words, any any courtesy or deference or kind of thinking about, uh, you know, sparing the country or whatever, I think becomes secondary to ensuring that no one is above the law. Um, and that was kind of where I was coming at on the debate. Though I, I totally get what you're saying also, that we should just treat him like anyone else regardless. Yeah, look, I think this is, yeah, I, I will just say my inclination, that's sort of uh, the inclination I bring to this. I will say the you know, the part of the Mueller, you know, the, not only the Mueller report, but the Mueller investigation and its aftermath that I was the least comfortable with was in concern and the most concerned about was the deference that was shown to the office of the presidency in terms of how they went about the decision to, for example, not interview him and things like that. I, I think, you know, Trump was shown a level of deference that in that situation he did not merit. Uh, and I, so for me, I think, um, you know, the, the, the most straight up way to deal with this is to say, okay, here are the factors of federal prosecution. We're going to apply them to Donald J. Trump the way we would apply them to to Asha Rangappa or to Renato Mariotti. So that's the way I would look at it. But I will say this. I, I hear what you're saying, too. I mean, I do think that whenever it, it is fair that when uh, that you do consider uh, the wider ranging impact of a prosecution, that's true. You know, you're going to, you know, to me, though, it, you know, for Trump, whether there's a self-pardon or not, I feel like there's things on both sides of the equation. I mean, I think you point out uh, some of the the reasons why someone might not want to prosecute a president, but on the other hand, I mean, what Donald Trump has demonstrated, whether he pardons himself or not, to me, is his he has told the press of the the world really that in the United States a president can be corrupt and be above the law, that the president can abuse his power, obstruct justice, try to undermine and and end investigations of him and get away with it. And so to me, there's these challenging competing considerations of do we want, you know, do we want to bring a prosecution to prove that the, you know, to prove that there's no, you know, that no one is above the law and that the, the law applies equally to the president or, you know, is this, I mean, obviously it's divisive and this and that. And from my perspective, some of the things that a Special counsel, uh, would be, which would be my preference, or the new AG would have to consider are, the, you know, for example, some of the litigation risk that would come with some of this, because I imagine there's going to be all sorts of novel issues that are going to be opposed by this prosecution. I mean, to me, for, even if there isn't a self-pardon, I think there's going to be all sorts of crazy defenses that are raised about the power of the presidency and what what he can do. And I think those should be, you know, considered. I mean, I think both on the the Justice Department doesn't want to lose, so it should consider the downside, but also consider, you know, the need to vindicate to to get to eliminate those defenses in the future. I also think they should be thinking about the fact that I think one one problem is the disinformation campaign by Trump has made it so that I think it's going to be very hard to pick a jury. I mean, that where there's not at least one person who just is going to think it's all a hoax no matter what. Yeah. So I think you brought up two points um, that, that that are very valid. That one is that would so the 
with Trump as opposed to Nixon, he has exhibited no acknowledgement of responsibility or remorse or anything. Um, With Nixon, Nixon resigned. Right. And I think that was really important because he he stepped down from an office and in doing so, he acknowledged that he abused his office. And so while I'm sure a prosecution would have been very satisfying to a lot of people, um, he had he, he had incurred some consequence for his actions um, to some degree. And he also didn't run for president again. And he didn't, I think he largely stayed out of, did he? I don't know. Did, did he largely stay out of public life after that? I mean, you know, he resigned in disgrace. And so um, the, the there was a, a punishment of sorts and an, acknowledge, an acknowledgement of um, responsibility, which we have not seen at all in the Trump situation. And I think, as you said, uh, he will move on uh, believing that he has just gotten off scot-free and that will be the message that it sends to the world. And I think a, I think a different message was sent with Nixon um, that you know, mm-hmm. you will you will be held to account and you cannot hold this office anymore if you could engage in this kind of behavior. So I think that that's fair. Um, I also think that you make a great point about the crimes that he's committed. And I've been thinking about putting his crimes into different buckets. Um, and I should add here, because I think in our Twitter debate, one thing that I do think makes a difference in this case is precisely that he has been investigated for crimes and there has been evidence already gathered that may merit a prosecution in other words if he if he were let's say nothing had happened no special counsel no stormy daniels and he just randomly self-pardoned himself on the way out the door and so the choice was that the department of justice would have to essentially create an investigation uh to find charges to bring against him to test the self-pardon i think that would be way too far you don't you don't want to go on a fishing expedition in order to charge something just so you can test the legal validity of something but in his case we have evidence of crimes and i would put them into three buckets one bucket is crimes he committed before he came into office and this includes the stormy daniels payment for which by the way a co-conspirator has been convicted and is serving time um, and I think that that's important. Like someone is has already been prosecuted and punished for, for that crime, which he participated in and, and directed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have the crimes that he committed while in office. Uh, and this includes the obstruction of justice um, counts that were in the Mueller report. And then I think there's a third bucket of crimes, which are crimes he may have committed either before or during this time in office that we actually just don't know about yet. Um, right. which could involve financial stuff, which could, in, I mean, you know, I, I think we have not seen the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I, it, it seems like just from the New York Times reporting about his tax returns that there is at least, you know, a predicate to look into possible, you know, tax fraud or bank fraud or some kinds of uh, financial crimes. I think you're right that the obstruction of justice, these crimes that we know of that he committed um, in office that there's evidence of in the Mueller report are highly problematic because they get into very thorny issues of constitutional law. Um, In some ways, maybe you want those resolved, maybe you don't. Um, I think maybe the answer might be for the Department of Justice to lift that 
internal policy so that moving forward, somebody could be prosecuted while they're still in office. Um, but so I think that that's a tricky one. But I think that anything he did before he came into office, like the campaign finance violation, would be fair game. I mean, that evidence has already been collected. Like it's sitting there. He's individual one. I think that's right. I just I don't. Here's the thing, though. You know, I I don't know as I sit here whether or not there'll be enough to 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 convict him on it. In other words, there there's it's clear there was enough where they believe that they can prove by a preponderance of the evidence at sentencing that there was a scheme involving him. Could they prove beyond a reasonable doubt that his his that he had willful intent? I don't know. I just don't know the evidence. And obviously, Michael Cohen is, uh, shall we say, a problematic witness, uh, uh, you know, convicted liar. So I, I don't know. I, I think I, that's why I've been very cautious. That's my typical approach, right, about this stuff. I'm cautious about knowing what else is out there. I will say, by the way, you know, one thing that you bring up that's an interesting point about crimes we may not know about. You know, one the, the one of the listeners asked earlier about limits on a pardon. One problem can be is if your crime is continuing. And so if you're covering up a crime, a scheme can be part of the scheme. And so if you're covering up your tax fraud or whatever, you know, whatever your potential crime is, that you can undo your pardon effectively by continuing the crime past the pardon. Right. Because the pardon only extends to the moment of the pardon itself. Right. You can't pardon future crimes. Right. You cannot pardon future crimes. Correct. Yeah. So that that's an issue. Uh, by the way, uh, pa- uh, Patty, do we have uh, any questions from uh, listeners? Absolutely. I mean, I know that you uh, address this, Renato, but we wanted, I do want to ask Asha about the likelihood of, or would it make sense to appoint a special prosecutor to oversee the investigations? Um, you know, not sure if that would insulate, insulate it from political pressure or the appearance thereof. Well, I think it's a good idea. I mean, this is, this is what Renato is suggesting. I mean, it takes, it removes, um, it gives one degree of separation from the AG, right? So to the extent that you don't, if, if you want to move forward with the prosecution of Trump, I think that is the way to go because otherwise it looks like the AG is, who is a political appointee, is going after, you know, the, the president's opponent. Um, and it just continues the narrative that Trump has has continued. I think Renato points out that, you know, the accusation may be made regardless, even if you appoint a special counsel. Um, but I think at least then you have a degree of removal from, you know, the AG being the one directing and controlling it. Um, and also, I think it's appropriate grounds for appointing a special counsel, because the grounds for appointing a special counsel is if either there is... Uh, a conflict uh, for the Department of Justice to pursue it, which I, I don't know that there is necessarily, um, though you know it might appear to be politically motivated. But more importantly, it is a case of, of great public interest. Um, and for those reasons, you know, I think that it would be appropriate. And, and you are thinking, Renato, of using the special counsel regs, like using that same framework. Exactly right. And then having accompanying it with a couple of things. One is a public disclosure of the authority of the of the special counsel from the beginning. So there's no question that that person has expansive authority, that they're not being hamstrung by the attorney general. Like, you know, we had allegations of happening with Rosenstein and Mueller. And secondly, the attorney general saying publicly that she or he 
would abide uh, by and and would not would not restrict uh, the special counsel's decision. In other words, would not overturn if the special counsel decided that uh, she didn't want to prosecute Trump for some reason that the the attorney general wouldn't interfere and 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 overturn that decision. I think that that would be to me the most you could do to insulate this from the administration and political appointees. Yeah. And what do you think about the the thought of like what would be the cost to the Department of Justice? Again, in I think there's two scenarios if if there is not a self-pardon and then if there is a self-pardon. But let's say if there isn't a self-pardon of just letting just deferring to the states. Well, for one thing, I mean, the state could fail. Okay, so yeah. Okay, so I, 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 well, I, I, by no means mean to disparage a very fine prosecutorial office, the Manhattan DA. You know, very highly complex financial crimes are not, you know, are are not the sort of thing that state and local prosecutors do as much of. They're less experienced doing it, and those are old. uh, It sounds like, from what we know publicly, that these are kind of old tax crimes. And as I mentioned before, there's a litigation risk. And I think well over, I think it was over 15% of people in Manhattan voted for Trump. So all you need is one or one or two people who are um, devoted to him in the jury and you won't get a conviction because you need a unanimous result. So just sitting back and expecting them to solve your problem, so to speak, is, is, is not, you shouldn't, I wouldn't bank on that. And secondly, you know, it doesn't really vindicate anything. In other words, if, you know, if the, you know, you know, if we believe, and at least the, it appears from the Mueller report that there's evidence sufficient to prove that Trump obstructed justice in a federal investigation while he was president of the United States, getting convicted for an old tax crime in a state tax crime doesn't really say anything about that federal uh, case once or another. And I just, what I would be concerned about is this is a matter of great public importance. The public is greatly informed about it. And there's an issue of general deterrence. In other words, not just deterring. It's not that you're interested in deterring Trump. I mean, maybe he's just going to golf the rest of his life or sell steaks or whatever he does. But but the next president and the next federal official, whether it's a senator or a department head, you need, there's a I think the value in in making sure that those people understand that if they try to abuse their position to hide their activity to curtail an investigation that there's going to be a price to pay for that and that even though it's difficult and even though there's going to be criticism that doesn't make you immune from a prosecution later on i think there's some value mm-hmm. there. yeah i think that that's that's fair I worry about the Justice Department, though. I worry about, and the, you know, the, including the FBI being dragged through what they've been dragged through for the last four years. Yeah, I have to say, Asha, you know, we have gotten to a point. I, I really am concerned about how we can depoliticize the Justice Department because, yeah, me too. Yeah, and, and it's it's a particular. It, it has such deep implications and. You know, I think obviously he has national ones, but everywhere it does. I mean, in my state, we rely on federal prosecutors to clean up corrupt politicians. And we, you know, we are now seeing in my state uh, people who are corrupt politicians like Rob Bogoyevich blasting federal prosecutors using the Trumpian language and politicization of the Justice Department. And I, 
I'm very concerned, you know, but unfortunately we're in a situation where the choice is between veering away from this to try to move politics away, you know, pull, you know, politics away from the Justice Department or just letting all of this go scot-free. I think it's a very tough choice. It shouldn't be made by somebody like me who's taken strong positions and, you know, it should be an apolitical special prosecutor, a special counsel. But I just, I have to say it, it concerns me to just let that go. Yeah. And I think it's been complicated by Trump's, you know, abuse of his pardon power, really, of pardoning a lot of these people who, who uh, these corrupt politicians, including Rod Lagoyevich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from what I understand, the Texas attorney general, who is, he's under investigation for multiple financial crimes correct yeah Um, and that he's on a short list from what i understand for a pardon um and it's it's very it's strange and it's you know for those of us who have you know worked in the justice department it's devastating that he has really been able to scramble um people's sense of values really um and perception of of the Department of Justice is being independent. Um, I really, I mean, maybe I was just in La La Land, but I feel like before Trump became president, people did believe that, look, DOJ will go after you, Democrat, Republican, whatever. Like if you're, if you're corrupt, you know, you're, and they, you get on their radar, they will, they will investigate you. And I think um, it's just become this whole deep state nonsense, uh, the, this idea that, you know, they're, uh, going on witch hunts and stuff. It's just, it's terrible. Um, and I think that Trump has really contributed that not only by his rhetoric, but also by the people that he's chosen to exonerate, which of course implies that they were somehow unjustly, uh, you know, prosecuted. You know, it's interesting as you say that it really, one thing that occurs to me of what may have been going on subconsciously with me, Kasha, is that, you know, I think that Trump has put us all in a pickle through, as you point out, this the language that he uses um, re- regarding the Justice Department trying to politicize the Justice Department, the FBI, the judiciary, et cetera. And he, he, he's made it harder to prosecute him. And, you know, the, when when there was a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, overwrought rhetoric about the Clinton email investigation, I, I think the the instincts of of Comey were to sort of take special steps to address that, and it ended up I think politicizing the FBI more, and I think that may be subconsciously why my instinct is like let's just do this the way we would ordinarily do it, and try to sort of do less rather than do more in terms of reacting to this. Just sort of do handle this in in as ordinary of a way as we can, so that hey, whatever your criticism is, we follow the same procedures we always would follow, and that's just what we do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I it does make sense. Um, you know, it was kind of the approach that I felt needed to take place with impeachment, where people were incredibly mm. outcome based, and you know, I thought, and I tweeted this a couple of times. You know, you have to just like do the next right thing re- and without attachment to the outcome, because the the going through the process itself is um, 
is kind of a vindication of certain kinds of principles, you know, like that this behavior won't be tolerated, that uh, there is accountability, um, even if you don't get the outcome that you you might want. And I think that's what you're saying is that trying to um, game how how Trump or how Republicans are going to react and somehow like it's a no win situation. It's just a shame spiral. Um, and then you just end up getting uh, bogged down into the into the very politics that they want. So I think that there is merit to that. Um, and I would say that I think that, you know, with impeachment, for example, um, even though Trump wasn't removed, there was value in going through those hearings and, um, you know, having all of that testimony. I think largely because of that, those narratives did not have the power that they might have otherwise had the, the narratives about Ukraine and the, you know, whatever, Hunter Biden laptop, all this kind of stuff um, as the election approached, because it had already been aired and kind of debunked and uh, people had testified under oath. Like it just didn't have the sticking power, I think, as a result of that. And so I think there is value to simply doing what needs to be done is what you're kind of saying. Um, no more, no less, you know, just what you would do. Um, and then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, that's. I just think that's the, the. I think that's the way I would handle it. I will say, by, by the way, regarding impeachment, one other benefit to it is that it really put for history. You know, th- there is now a record. Every Republican senator, every Republican member of Congress, is on record. Uh, you know, regarding that abuse of power. I mean, other than Mitt Romney, uh, to his credit, I, I, you know, other than him. You know, all of these people basically said, we do not believe that when this president, I mean, it's clear abuse of power. And many of them seem to say that privately and some publicly that they, they didn't think that, you know, that they should do anything about it. I think it it, it really their complicity in his actions, uh, I think it really was shown to the world in that in that moment. Yes. And it will be there forever. Exactly. <laughs> It is a historical, it is in, it is etched in stone. I mean, that is the legacy of many of those people uh, who voted not to remove him. I know we had, by the way, we had an extraordinary number of questions for this episode. I do want to, so I keep going to Pat, Patty. I know we have a bunch. Do you have another one for us? I know. I, I'm trying to filter through these to make sure that we at least, do it. but you also are covering a lot of the concerns when it comes to pardons and, and a lot of issues that people want to know about. So Here's something we haven't discussed that I know a lot of people wish or hope will will uh, transpire. Can the Trump administration be investigated or can he be investigated for COVID-19 and prosecuted if he had stock in any of those companies putting out vaccines or stopping the vaccines from being released and, you know, tremendous waste of money? And as well as the um, the ventilators, the Obama administration had agreed to buy for thirty two hundred dollars and suddenly cost fifteen thousand dollars, even though they were functionally identical according to House investigators so and let, have wasted taxpayer funds. Go ahead. Let, let me say a, co- a couple of things there. One thing I do want to say, because I, there's been a lot of, there's a, a, a another legal commentator, Glenn Kirshner, who's been arguing that Trump can be prosecuted for negligent homicide and, you know, for COVID and so forth. That is a silly theory. And there's no prosecutor in this country who's going to actually, I mean, I would, I would hope uh, bring a, a prosecution along those lines. That is just not going to happen. Um, and, but regarding, and, and Renato, I, I, just to clarify for your listeners, I presume that what you're saying is, cause this would be my assumption 
it's not something you could ever prove because there's no direct causal link from for for homicide you have to have you know the intent to kill somebody very a specific person and then also a very direct manner in which you did that um and here in terms of criminal liability there's just no way that you could prove that with any any in given person who died of covid i think that's one one reason i think another you know issue of course is that presidents make policy decisions all the time some good some bad and they they those do result in deaths um you know in, unless that was sort of the purpose behind the policy was to kill americans uh without any justification um it's very hard for me to believe that um uh, a president is going to be criminally convicted for you know for example do you prosecute George W. Bush for a war in Iraq or something like that. If we, let's say we bombed the wrong building, like maybe, I mean, I don't know, but I, I guess what I would just say, I'm not going to, I don't want to get too off field here, but I'm just saying that what their people are basically saying is Trump was incompetent. Trump, did, you know, ignored warnings. Trump was, you know, was, as they put it, negligent. I think that negligence fine, but, and that resulted in deaths, but he, you know, you know, he was not setting out to kill people in the United States Correct. individually. At least we can't prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And this is not the sort of thing that a homicide statute is intended to cover. And so while it's a clever thing to tweet, it's not the sort of thing. You know, I, I think that sometimes what happens is people read statutes and then they're like, well, you can kind of smush this into the statute on its face. And so therefore this is something that will be prosecuted. And I just, I don't think that that's the case. Now, the examples that were in the exact question were more like corruption stuff. Like in other words, yeah, that's, I think that's, those are good questions. So what if he was profiting behind the scenes by either by, you know, withholding certain kinds of treat, treatment i mean he was like in other words what if there's evidence that he somehow um enriched himself through the policy decisions that he took you know i don't think that merely if he you know benefited ancillary to the policy decision i don't know if that would be enough for example you know his tax cuts may help trump hotels or something uh, i mean it, it ethically he should be you know having the, all of that stuff you know he should be putting all of his properties in a trust and yada yada but the fact that he didn't in and of itself would not now if he had a corrupt purpose in you know but even there i mean really for in terms of uh that sort of prosecution the supreme court's really limited that to a bribery context like it's very hard for me to see how He's going to, you know, being, pro, you know, the, him being criminally prosecuted, which is what we're talking about here, because there's different sort of layers of liability, a criminal prosecution for passing a statute that, you know, ostensibly helps America in some way, or at least on its face did, because presumably people voted for it or other people supported it or whatever, and uh, ancillarily, you know, made him some money. I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it personally. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, this is all kind of very speculative. I don't know all the details, but on its face, I wouldn't if I were you, I would not I would not like read, like look at the newspaper every day expecting to see that headline. That's I guess what I would say. If, if people are asking me to be a predictor, 
of what sort of charges could he be prosecuted for? I would say look first to the ones that Ash and I have spent a lot of time discussing, like obstruction of justice, because we already know the evidence is out there. Everyone knows it can be proven and so on. You know, you mentioned, Asha, that campaign finance piece. I don't know whether they can prove it, but certainly there's already been investigation. There's already evidence. So, you know, that's already kind of put together. We know what's there. And as you point out, Asha, there's a lot of stuff out there that may be. And the question is, just, will somebody investigate his federal taxes or mm-hmm. other things? I don't know. That's what right. I would predict. Yeah. I, I, I do think, Asha, one thing that has been interesting during this time is, Trump says and does so many shady things all the time that I think I think people are just like at a certain point, like, why isn't he prosecuted for almost all the stuff that he does? And I have to say, I understand why people think that way and believe that way. It's it's like I try to be very careful and cautious about it. And because people shouldn't be accused of crimes until there's some evidence, you know, unless there's some good reason to have evidence. But it is I can understand why people for a lot of this stuff, are very suspicious and very concerned and think that there should be investigations of these matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it does feel like, you know, if you were a random schmo and you did even, you know, one fraction of this, the stuff that Trump, you know, pulls that, you know, you'd be under, under investigation or indictment very soon. But I think you point out something really good about the policy decisions. Um, and it gets to something we talked about earlier, which is, it's very hard, you know, the the office of the presidency comes with it um, immense powers um, and including a lot of discretion uh, right. in those executive powers. And as a result, it can be very difficult to parse out motives. And in some cases, you know, courts are reluctant to parse out motives. So um, this wasn't a criminal case, but the travel ban. You know, the the court didn't wasn't going to look behind um, the stated uh, reason for issuing the ban, even though Trump had tweeted out all of these racist things. You know, they weren't going to go there. Um, And, you know, I think partly courts do that because they want to protect the office of the presidency. You don't want or, you know, I think in an ideal world with a with a president of generally good character and judgment, you don't want. Um, them to be hauled into court, you know, looking at every single possible, you know, nuance in their decision making and second guessing it and holding them, you know, accountable. You don't want to cripple their decision making. Uh, but I think that's really hard for people to 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 get because what we've seen is somewhat what what the potential is in that in in that office for someone to abuse that power uh, and abuse that discretion and the latitude, you know. And this is kind of where. An impeachment. This is where, you know, for example, the president's immense foreign policy powers intersected with abuse of power um, to help himself. And it, I think you don't really appreciate how much latitude the president has until you see someone like Trump who abuses it. And I think the answer is our criminal code is not equipped to deal with it because only one person has the ability to kind of get away with it, um, which is the president. Our criminal code is going to be written for one person um, and to apply to one person. The answer is to not elect a criminal as president. That's kind of how we, you know, the the, the Constitution is imagined and, and how our criminal code is written, that it's not really intended to, like, how are we going to apply this to, you know, uh, a negligent 
a negligently quasi-genocidal, you know, COVID policy. Like, it's just not, it's not tailored for that kind of situation or context. Yeah, it's very well put, Asha. It's very well put. I, I have to say that, you know, a lot of times that my answer has been to many of different scenarios with Trump has been our criminal laws are not meant for this situation. You know, the president, you know, hijacking our foreign policy to help his pre-election chances. I mean, there's just we, we don't write draft criminal laws related just to the president who we has never been charged in history. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I do think I will say this really underscores to me to the importance of having investigations that are not criminal going forward so that the American people can find out what happened. I mean, so much of right now, we're, we're so in the dark about a whole variety of things. I mean, I think people not deserve to know how bad and what happened to screw up our response to COVID. But I also think people deserve to know how the hell all these children got separated at the border and what happened and how mm-hmm. did we lose their parents? Like, what the hell? I think people should know. And I don't think it's going to result in a criminal case, but I think people deserve to know what happened. Exactly. What was happening on these calls with these foreign leaders behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was being, you know, what were there things, our national security being compromised in any way? I think you're absolutely right. And it kind of gets to maybe in addition to, a special counsel. And I don't like calling it a truth and reconciliation commission. I, it's not, I just don't feel like that isn't appropriate. The, the, that our context is not similar to the, the ones where those kinds of panels have been um, put together. But I think, I think something like the tower commission or the nine 11 commission, yes. which was tasked with this kind of thing, right. Which is bipartisan commission that is there to, go back, reconstruct what happened in various areas and then write a report about it so we all know. And we know who screwed up. And like you said, it's not, you know, it doesn't carry with it any kind of criminal penalties. Um, but, you know, unless unless crimes are uncovered in the course of it and get referred to the FBI or something like that. But um, that's not their purpose. As you said, the purpose is to really just illuminate what went wrong because that is how then um, Congress can pass laws to rectify the situation, which is what they did after 9-11, right? Like they reconstructed the intelligence community. They, um, you know, created new tools uh, to, to fight terrorism. And we can, you know, there, there's a whole other debate on, on whether those were appropriate or effective, but that's, they used what they learned from the commission um, to inform how we shape our, our laws and tools moving forward. Yeah, I and I'll just say that that is exactly the model I had in mind was the 9-11 Commission, where you can go to the bookstore and buy a book or get it online and you can get the report and read it yourself. And it's very long and it just details everything you'd want to know about 9-11 and our, how we got into that situation and what our response was and all that. And that that to me is is what this country needs is to a variety of subjects after this presidency, which has, you know, had so many outrages uh that we people have forgotten about them all. I mean, I mentioned children being separated from their parents. It's like, I think it's almost a forgotten memory for a lot of people. I mean, we don't even talk about that anymore, but it's, it's an ongoing travesty where there's children who've been separated and they can't find their parents. It's, yeah, it's a tragedy. It's horrifying. It's horrifying when you, when you just think about it, you know, and um, partly we don't talk about it because there's always something new. Exactly. 
Uh, and I'm looking forward to the day when that doesn't happen. I do want to go to our listeners for one more question because I know they had some really unique ones. Maddie, do you have do you have one more for us? Well, look, there are a lot of fantasies uh, out there about how this unfolds after he leaves office. Um, but one is definitely the <laughs> thousands and thousands of memes with him behind prison uh, prison bars. Okay, um, so in the unlikely event that he is convicted of something, would any incarceration perhaps be a house arrest? Because you can't obviously incarcerate his security agents. <laughs> so here's what I would say on that. I'll speak as to federal uh, sentencing. So uh, a judge could have some portion of his incarceration be home confinement. That's true. That could be. And the judge would consider the nature uh, and circumstances of the the offense, but also the history and characteristics of the defendant, including, in his case, the fact that he's a former president, that he's a very controversial figure, that he's old, he's poor health. They would consider all those things. I don't know whether or not, I mean, I think the default expectation would ordinarily be incarceration for some of these cases, potential crimes, Uh, but uh, it is possible that a portion or all of it could be home confinement. I think, you know, regardless of what the punishment would be, uh, a conviction, I think, itself would be quite a punishment uh, for a president like this who's so prideful. I mean, we think we've seen Asha that his pride is so in, insanely great that just even admitting that he lost is too much for this man. Yeah, I think it's like an existential, you know, nightmare for him um, to, to be able to admit that he lost. I, I do think, I mean, people are obsessed with the idea of him in an in a orange jumpsuit sitting behind bars. Like, it's just, yes. it's, it's straight. Like, I think, and... I, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds. I feel like that is an unlikely outcome. I mean, I don't, I can't pinpoint why you've said some of the reasons that even in the case that he would get convicted, I think there are a lot of factors, but in any case, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't see that being how he ends up. And the other thing that I've noticed that people are obsessed with, or if he goes to prison, will he still get secret service protection? (laughs) <laughs> Which is this bizarre question, but I've seen it asked so many times. I don't know the answer. I would guess that if he is literally behind bars, he doesn't need Secret Service protection. Like, who's going to try to assassinate him? Oh, a lot of fellow prisoners. A lot of fellow prisoners. I don't know. I mean, you could. I, I actually think that one factor a judge would have to consider would be the potential that he could be harmed while incarcerated, even in a minimum security prison. I don't know. You could have prisoners who don't like him. I don't know. It'd be a very interesting question. But you think like, I mean, what secret service would like show like their shift would be like to hang out in a prison all day. Oh, I don't no think sense. the secret service would. I think that you'd have to create special <laughs> conditions of incarceration. Yes, yes, yes. Of to course. ensure he, safety. He needs special protection. But I just it's just a, it's a it's a very specific question that multiple people have asked on various, you know, posts that I've made related or unrelated to anything that I posted. But they're like, if he goes to prison, will he have secret service protection? And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't see yeah. why he wouldn't need it. <laughs> It's a bizarre, right. yeah, these are bizarre questions. It's bizarre we're even thinking about these things uh, and talking about them. Uh, I just, you know, I will say, I don't know how this chapter ends, but no matter what way it is, I think a lot of people are going to be unsatisfied one way or the other. Don't you, Asha? No matter what? Yeah. And I mean, I will say, you know, I do think we didn't get into this. And we probably don't have time to, but I think his kids are a different story. I think all these factors that we're talking about mm-hmm. for him, I don't think extend to his children. 
Oh, right. Although, don't you think they're all going to get pardoned? They will probably all get pardoned. Um, but I also, the other thing I, I think about all of them, including Trump and the kids, is that they're going to keep criming. <laughs> they're like OJ. Like, I just don't, I think they cannot help it. I think this is their lifestyle, you know, of how they, this is how they roll. Um, and I think that somewhere down the line, it may not be next year, but, you know, I think they, they will, the, the law will trip them up. Um, well, so, I, I, you, I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to make any pronouncements about their character, but I, I think they, they'll have to be very careful going forward. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. Well, this is. I'll tell you, Asha. I always love chatting with you. Uh, I not only you know learn things and get challenged a lot of my views, which is always fun. Uh, but it's just always just you're always a hoot to talk to. You bring a level. Same. Yes. Fun. Well, excellent. Yeah. So many people were excited to hear you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Asha. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast. Go to your app and review the podcast and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. On topic.